It all started a few years ago. I loved the developer experience of Vercel, but I kept running into these various limitations and just needed some more control. And I was like, why can't we have the good developer experience and full control and ownership on my own AWS account? And that was the genesis that really got this ball going. Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Brandon Bayer. So Brandon, you're the CEO and creator of Flight Control. You made Blitz.js, and you've been on PodRocket before. So twice, you were on PodRocket twice, and we're going to be going over Flight Control, this great system that you made, and talking about Blitz.js and kind of what's new in the web development ecosystem. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. You're so, uh, you have lovely words to say. Thank you very much. I mean, you made a lovely thing, man. We were preparing for the interview. It was kind of like, I've never used flight control. What is this thing? What does it do? Why do I want to use it? Kind of, you know, going through the YouTube motions of watching other people's videos and learning about it. And we have an interesting thing to talk about here. We've talked about, like I noted, we talked about flight control before in Podrocket. If you want to go into like the basic details, you can go check out that episode. But really quickly, starting off, if, if people are fresh on this episode, uh, Brandon, what is flight control? It all started uh, back whenever, uh, a few years ago, I loved the developer experience of Vercel for deploying applications, but I kept running into these various uh, limitations and like I wanted to use some AWS services like SQS or just needed some more control. And I was like, why can't we have the good developer experience and full control and ownership on my own AWS account? And that was like the genesis that really like got this ball going. And it was it was a year and a half after that, I think, or maybe two years until we actually started the company to like f- solve that problem. Uh, but that is what it is. So Flight Control gives you the deployment experience of Vercel or Heroku, but without the limitations because it is on your own AWS account where you have full control and scalability. That That wrapped the idea up in a really nice present. In like 30 seconds. That was awesome. And and I can say coming from somebody who spent their first like two years in the tech world being in DevOps SRE, like the thought of having control over your resources is profound. Like that's huge. And like thinking, oh, I'm gonna write this little next JS something, throw it up into Vercel, and it's gonna run fantastic. Like that's great. But the unknown is what scares, I think, a lot of like production teams. It's like what happens when X happens? What happens when we get to Y scale? And it's like that's when having control of your resources is just huge. And you might need a proprietary solution. You don't know. Flight control, I guess, gives you the ability to make that decision. You know, the metaphor is that these traditional platform as a service uh, providers are like Fisher-Price toys. They're safe, easy, and fun, but rarely found in a large workplace. And what we need instead is like a modern flight control system that mostly flies itself, but exposes everything you need to understand the system and override it when you need to. I love that analogy. Like that's why it's called flight control. It puts meaning to the name, which kind of like helps define the product in itself. So that's that's neat. Thanks for that little tidbit. So you started Y Combinator. You're a Y Combinator group, right? What was that? Was that a fun experience? Stressful experience? Like people say so many different things about Y Combinator. What was your takeaway? Like, did do you think it really helped propel you to that next stage of growth? It had a massive impact on us because I don't have a like a fang background. I didn't come from Facebook or Google or whatever. Like I grew up in the in the corn cornfields of Ohio, you know? And so when I went to raise funding, 
there it was very very difficult and after three months like i still didn't uh really have anything to show for it and so we basically gave given up at that point until we got an email one day from my commentator saying hey we want you to interview on wednesday and i was like oh i kind of forgot that i had even applied to yc and uh so uh, we ended up went through the 10-minute interview and got accepted and like that was the most that was the coolest thing in the world um but it had a massive impact because Within a week of getting accepted, we had we'd already raised a million dollars. Like it just it was like flipping a switch. All of a sudden, now you have that YC brand, and investors are like, "Oh, we want in too." Was it was it, was it that your first time that you got in? You got accepted, or did you try prior before? This was the third idea I had applied with, but the first time I got accepted. Were the other like ideas uh, AWS and DevOpsy? Sorry, no, no, okay, totally random stuff that like. I would never expect to get into YC in a million years. <laughs> so Brandon, you're also the creator of Bliss.js, which is, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with flight control, we could say, but it's they're not the same thing. Bliss.js is like your thing. And flight control is you embarked on that with a partner of yours, right? Correct. So what is Blitz.js and how does how did that lead you into the flight control saga of life? I've always been working towards having my own software company. Um, but on that journey, I became an independent freelancer building applications for clients. And it was during that, that process of building these new things that I really missed the developer experience of Ruby on Rails in the JavaScript ecosystem. And so that's what led me to having this idea to start Blitz, even though it wasn't a business and it was kind of a detour from what I was wanting to do. But I, I could just feel like the, the impact that it could have. And so I just went all in on it. And it was through that that I realized that I really like working on developer tools and I'm really good at like developer experience and marketing developer tools. So a developer tool, Blitz.js is, you would market as a developer tool. What does this tool aim to help builders build? So it helps you build full stack applications with Next.js in, you know, like a 10th of the time that you would from piecing everything together from scratch. Because Next is already marketed as like the fast thing. Yeah. So it takes Next.js and superpowers it. So Next.js is like, does a lot of cool stuff, but it's still quite minimal. It doesn't have authentication. It doesn't have like anything to help you around API uh, layer. It's, there's no code generation. There, there's, it's just very bare bones to actually build a real application. And so whenever you generate a new Blitz app, there's multiple things that you can you can select the options, but basically it sets everything up for you from the database to the front end, including authentication. So immediately you can sign up as a user, log in, log out, et cetera. That's, that's all set up for you out of the box. And you have a full stack API layer, uh, which we call Blitz RPC. Um, so TRPC has, has gotten some popularity recently, and that was really created as inspiration from, from BlitzRPC. So TRPC is, some, is kind of a generic thing, uh, but BlitzRPC is, is more tailored to Next.js. And so if you're using Next.js, you get a really, really incredible developer experience with this. So you don't have to use REST or GraphQL, and you still get that full stack API layer and static type safety. And RP, when you say Blitz, you know, Blitz's version of RPC here. RPC is sort of like a different communication protocol that's built on top of HTTP. And that stands for, is it? Remote procedure call. So it basically just means like, hey, um, I'm going to run a function somewhere else on like another machine. I'm going to send some input to that function and get some output. And it can be over HTTP. It can be over like really anything. 
Um, but in this case, it is um, HTTP, and it's just like a JSON API in this certain kind of format. Gotcha. Okay. So do, would you say, you're talking about a lot about um, the API layer here, gluing together authentication. A lot of that revolves around choosing the library I want to use, integrating that library correctly, and then writing the boilerplate. So could I like make a, a fair argument to say that Blitz.js is removing a tenth of the time by choosing libraries, writing boilerplate, and having a bit of opinion. Because this this reminds me of Django, sort of like when I get Django out of the box, I get user management, I get that database layer. There is an opinion, but once you get it, you can fly through an app in like eight hours. Yes, you perfectly described it. And the what I, what I do like to say is that um, even though there's some opinions and some defaults, you can override those. And so Blitz is very flexible in that way. Like it doesn't require um, um, things. So it's it's you know we have opinions, but then you can easily change them. Yeah, like we we just uh, did an episode of Super Tokens. They do like your custom auth password loads. So could I like plug that into Blitz as my auth layer middleware? Even better, our authentication was system was designed by one of the founders of Super Tokens. Oh, wild. Okay, <laughs> so go figure. It has some of the same things um, built into it, but it. Uh, yeah, it's self-hosted. You don't have to uh, use a, a separate server for it. Awesome. So looking back at Flight Control, like if I made a Blitz app, is Flight Control like kowtowing to the to people who make Blitz apps? Like we're perfect for you. If you make a Blitz app and use Flight Control, it's like handshaky, like everything. There's defaults you can expect. There's like just I can maybe find to deploy. Or is that like level of handholdy there for any framework use of Flight Control? Flight control is a really great experience for deploying anything. That's the foundation point. It's really great for anything. And then for Next.js apps, which includes Blitz apps, we we have um, some custom customizations, some optimizations that make uh, incremental static regeneration work and things like this that are that are the more advanced features of Next.js that just work on Vercel, but are really, really hard to get working correctly on AWS. And so we solved that as well. So we, you just touched upon a really interesting topic right here. It's like the static incremental generation. I would wager that is one of these items. What are some more items that you think developers struggle with in a traditional modern web deployment that you tried to solve for with flight control? If you're using like a platform as a service, most of the the problems are solved. Like there's there's a lot of platforms that have really great developer experience. Where things fall down is when you want more con- when you want that developer experience and more control. So like for example, you know if you're on a platform as a service, you have the good developer experience, but you don't have control. If you're on AWS, you have that control, but you have a terrible developer experience. You're writing Terraform scripts and like CDK and who knows what. Um, but you're not getting that level of developer experience. And so that's what we're we're working to combine. And that's kind of maybe where it really breaks down is like to deploy a Next.js app with these modern thing, like modern attributes and features, you need to know Terraform. You need to understand these different, well, you don't need to, but in order to like make it a sane way to live and maintain your app, you need to have like some deployment strategy. You really need to understand how to put together, you need to be a solutions architect in addition to being a web developer. Yes, if you if you need that control, um, which a lot of companies do or do at some point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, like one trap people get into is they 
they launch their company on Heroku or whatever, and then eventually they reach a point of scale where they have to migrate out to AWS because it's too expensive or they need that level of control. And like that, that can be like a very, very expensive and time-consuming migration process. And so we're like, well, that's dumb. You should just like start on AWS, get the good developer experience, and then you can stay there like on AWS and flight control forever. Right. And where do you where do you think that scale gets hit? Like what level does that scale crop up at? It's hard for me to wrap my head around that. There's a number of different things. So on Vercel, they have a massive markup over AWS Lambda. And so if you're doing a bunch of server-side processing on Vercel, you're going to very, very quickly hit their enterprise plan, which starts at, I think it's $36,000 per year. And for that level of, of plan on Vercel, on, on AWS plus flight control, it's going to be like maybe $300 a month or something. Um, so that, that is one level. Yeah, so it kind of depends on the... On the um, the control and things you need. So one problem these platform as service providers have is that they have a custom layer of infrastructure over top of AWS or GCP or whatever it is. And all their customers are going through that infrastructure. And so their infrastructure has massive, uh, has to serve a massive amount of scale. And so, but the difference is like, if you're on AWS, you have your own custom infrastructure that no one else's uh, stuff is going through. And so you have more reliability issues and things at scale with platform as a service versus your own AWS. That markup is insane. Like, if you to put that in perspective, like thirty, even if we're ta- talking about five hundred dollars of function function invocations a month, if we were to boil that down to CPU cycles on a nook under your bed, I'm pretty sure you could do that for $50 for the rest of your life. And when you put that into perspective of like, okay, I, I understand it comes with a lot of protections and, and reliability and all that. But when you think about the, the markup you're paying on some of these platform as a services, it, it makes me cry like I'm cutting an onion. Like that, <laughs> that's crazy how fast you will hit that enterprise plan from running a dinky app. Do you find that a lot of people come into flight control from a Heroku sort of background because of the demographic of teams that flight control is apt towards? We really have a strong pool from both sides of the market. The people that are on the Heroku's of the world, but need more control, want more, more power features. So that's part of it. And then we also get a strong pool from people who are AWS experts who have been managing their own Kubernetes clusters. And they're realizing it's not worth it. It's too much effort. We need a better developer experience. And so it, it feels like we have that a really good abstraction because we're solving these kind of diverse use cases with one single thing. When people move into flight control, do you usually find it to be a seamless experience? Or what is like the number one area that people are usually like, okay, I have to change in architecture? Or do people need to change in architecture? Most of the time, people can just migrate seamlessly without without any problems. And most of our customers have migrated existing production applications. And we actually offer like free migration assistance uh, for for people doing that, the so one thing is we don't yet support serverless functions or any of the the kind of fully serverless stuff. We will. So if you if you need that right now, like you might have to change to to run a traditional server. But an XJS app, so on Flight Control right now, it runs using Next Start, and so it, it's there's benefits to this because you don't have the cold start issue with the lambdas and all of that. But our, our philosophy is like, hey, people, developers need control 
over how they deploy stuff and being able to choose between the trade-offs themselves instead of us making those trade-offs for them. And so we're going to support everything and let you choose of like, do you want to deploy to a server or do you want to use serverless? Do you, which way do you lean, Brandon, if we, if we step aside from flight control? Because I feel like serverless is easily the go-to for a lot of people, but there's a lot of arguments to be made for the server deployment. So much depends on your use case and your, the business requirements and the level of usage. So for example, if you have a really low traffic application, then it's going to be way cheaper on serverless because it's not standing there running while nobody's using it. But if you have a consistent level of traffic, then a server is probably going to be better because you don't have the cold start issue for like serving the direct traffic. Another place that serverless is really good for is more like just handling events, like spontaneous things like background processing. And because in those cases, you don't care about cold start. It's not like serving a, a user request. Let's say you like you check out, you make an order, and then that triggers a Lambda function that like sends a shipment or like updates an inventory or whatever. Like that's a perfect use case for serverless that can um, scale really well. It's almost like a passing function. Yeah. A hook function. Yeah. So, and then also if, but if you have a massive amount of, of traffic going through a serverless function, you're going to be cheaper on a server. So it's, you know, like a serverless function is actually more expensive for the CPU and memory time than a long running server. But it, so it depends on that, that crossover of your utilization of how much are you using um, on a server versus if, if you have a bunch of empty capacity, unused capacity, then serverless function is probably better. It's like we're taking an economics class here. It's like some supply and demand curves about like how much we want the CPU and how much utilization you're getting out of it. Brandon, I'm curious, since we're talking a little bit about architecture and the way we might put together an application, if you're, let's say we hang up and you want to go make like a, like a cute cat app or something, what technologies are you reaching for in 2023? Uh, Fireship put out their uh, technologies of 2023 video, so I'm curious what's going through Brendan Bayer's head right now. It would definitely be run Blitz new in my com- my terminal, and then I'd be I'd be ready to start building. One answer. Yep. It's one thing. He'd run Blitz, and he's done. <laughs> yep. So if you are looking forward to 2023 on the flight control side, what are you folks looking forward to building that you can tell the public about right now? So we've had an explosion of growth this pa- these past several months. And we've, we've proved that like we're basically getting into product market fit. And so now we're taking a step back and we're like t- addressing tech debt. We're redoing some of the, the systems that we need to provide a much better developer experience. We're working on filling in holes, polishing things, and, and just really, really improving what we have now. The, the problem that a lot of companies get into is that they, they ship stuff that's like, Oh, it's decent, right? But then they just want to keep expanding, adding new and new features, and they never go back and like actually really improve and polish what they have. And so we're in that phase now of just really polishing, and so we're not expanding any new features at the moment. But once we finish this phase, then the next thing that we'll be moving into is serverless support, like serverless functions. I think that puts a lot of confidence in me as a developer because I'm like, all right, the team who's making this thing that is my flight control like they're they're making sure the buttons don't stick and the switches don't like fall off if I smack it if I'm really mad like th- those types of things so it's going to give me confidence that it's not going to go off the rails so to speak uh, late later on what's one of the areas 
being in like the Y Combinator. Oh, we're a startup. We're moving so fast. Like we got product fit. That is so exciting. Like that must feel like you found your calling for the next decade. Like you're going to make some cool stuff. What's one of the things that maybe you glossed over that you're going back now and you're just like, wow, I can't believe we went so long and like, it's so good. We're looking at this right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, as a fan, like you just, there's no choice, but to grow or like get left behind or like, you know, like get ran, ran over. Um, it's more like it. So I learned so much about just like how to be a good manager, how to hire well. We're like, we're still learning on, on improving our engineering, like how to work together as a team, like really, really efficiently, like not just, you know, at like haphazardly, but like, how can we really optimize everything that we do um, through, through communication and testing and shipping and all of that. So it sounds like it's in addition to the tech stack and filling in tech debt, you're filling in person personnel debt. Like you're really fine tuning the way your company runs. You're making sure that your teams are effective and going through these motions, right? That sounds like a really like big growing period for your group. Culture and associated things is really everything. Like you can have, you can have, you know, a bunch of absolute geniuses in the room, but if you don't have a good culture and good structure and leadership around that, like you're not going anywhere. On, on the podcast notes, I was, I, we have this little section. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Brandon to go into, we'll go into like one or two features about things that are coming in 2023. And it's interesting that you said like, okay, we're actually like fine tuning. We're like tightening our screws and, and greasing things up. And so that kind of makes me think, okay, we're not going to go over like a new technical feature you guys are working on. I wonder what's a new, like maybe way of organization or way that teams work that you guys have been working on, I guess. And, and to, to formalize that question. Is there a way that you have reorganized your team in the way that you organize work that maybe you didn't expect to end up working right now? Because everybody instantly reaches for a Trello or Scrum, a two-week sprint, and then every time you work in a team, it always manifests a little di differently. So during this process, did you have any cool takeaways where you're like, I didn't expect we'd work this way. Now we're doing it this, and this way, and it's great. We started out where basically, for the most part, we've had an engineering team of three, we'll call it. And so... Uh, each person was kind of off in their corner, like working on like some kind of isolated thing. And there wasn't that much like communication and collaboration between them. It was more like kind of split things apart and then everybody would kind of go their separate ways and like work on it and then come back later. And we read this blog post by Swizik about uh, basically high-performing teams. And it really kind of changed the way that that we work together. And so now instead of everyone being in their own separate corners, we're actually treating it like a team. And so everyone is together, like working very closely together on the things. And so you, you have much higher um, kind of like team morale and cohesion because you actually feel like you're working on something uh, with someone else. So there's just a, a lot more intense uh, collaboration and it results in a, in a better product and, and, and just a better like work experience. Do you feel like you guys are more in a tiny we work table room now versus like in separate like offices around the world doing your own thing? Yeah, I think so. Even though we are fully remote. If somebody wanted to try out flight control, they're hearing what you're saying, Brandon, they're really into it. AWS, they log into AWS. Is that something I can just like go through their UI and hook myself up with? I would just start with flightcontrol.dev and you just sign up there. And you walk through the process and there'll be a button to either create a new AWS account or connect an existing one. And then there's like, you link your AWS account to Flight Control with, it's just one button click and it gives our account access to yours. Can I expect to use a UI, a CLI, the AWS console CLI thing? We provide both 
uh, configuration through our dashboard where you can define like your build command, your start command. Um, you can add a database, you can add Redis, you can add static site and private workers. Um, so you can do that through our dashboard or you can use our infrastructure as code feature, which uh, most commonly known as flightcontrol.json. And so you have that flexibility, uh, whether you want the, the point and click or you want infrastructure as code. Awesome. So start with flightcontrol.dev. They'll walk you through it. One last thing, I'd, I'd technicality that I'd love to jump into the podcast because we don't have unlimited time here. But I think one of the coolest things that you guys do is use Temporal for your backend. And we we haven't gone too much into Temporal on the PodRocket podcast, but I'd love to uh, pick your brain for a sec, Brandon, and just ask what has been your experience using this backend, this framework? Uh, do you self-host it? Do you use the cloud? Like, How long did it take you to integrate with it? And like, what are your immediate takeaways about this behemoth powering your company? Temporal is amazing. It is what you call a workflow orchestration engine. And it came out of Uber. Uber created it. It was an open source project. And now there's a company around it. And essentially, um, it's like an abstraction over top of queues, cron jobs, and scheduled jobs. You, it's almost like React for the backend um, is one way to think about it. And another way is that you know the difference between like how like so it changed how we wrote code when we went from callbacks to promises in async await. Specifically, async await allows you to just write code that looks synchronous, but it's actually asynchronous. So that is how it feels writing temporal. So instead of like dispatching some queue and like some scheduled thing, like instead of that, you just write code where it feels synchronous and it's actually asynchronous. So for example, in your code, you could sleep for a day or a day or 30 days. And after that sleeping period, that the code after that will run like on some other machine, maybe. Like you don't know where. And so it's it's this um, really, really powerful way to manage these things. You get really great observability, really great reliability and robustness. And so like it's perfect for wrangling the complexity of deployments to AWS. And it allows you to really be discreet about every lifecycle hook and plan out a very stable system for us to use. When users interact with flight control, I'm just curious for my own selfish wants here. Is it do you run like a separate temporal like namespace for every customer, or do you have one big cluster that you just have some masterful orchestration over? So we are using Temporal Cloud, and we just have one namespace. Um, but then we have uh, many different workflows. So we have like a workflow for a deployment, a workflow for um, you know, creating a project and things. And those workflows have, it'll so like a deployment workflow would have, it would be named something like deployment dash, deployment ID dash, like maybe something else. Yeah, so those are, work really well. Uh, we were just looking at the metrics and we've passed over a million events or activities, something, a million things in Temporal. Yeah, that, it's, it's such an interesting new way to code. Do you think that Temporal... And I, I think this your specific use case is so cool because you're using it for deployment and DevOps. And it makes me wonder, is Temporal coming for Terraform and big organizations? No. Because it's more... Terraform is like an infrastructure thing. T temporal is not infrastructure. Temporal is code and business logic. And so it just happens for us that we are... 
our business logic deals with infrastructure. But for for anyone like using Temporal or sorry, a Terraform to manage infrastructure, like like CDK, if you want code, you'd be using CDK instead of Temporal. Gotcha. So different different lanes. Yes. I, I just think your use case is really interesting because deployments inherently are very event driven. And but there are a lot of other tools. You get Git Actions. You get all these integrations that it's almost like why would you as a company implement your own hooks and stuff if if it already exists out of the box? So it's just an interesting use case that you guys are really orchestrating several different deployment environments using business logic. But I guess hey, you need business logic for that level of complexity. So awesome use case for Temporal. Well, Brandon, thank you for your time coming on. If people wanted to learn more about what's happening. With flight control, as you guys are maybe rolling out updates, is there a Twitter that people should look to? Yeah, so my Twitter is is most active. It's FlyBear, F-L-Y-B-A-Y-E-R. Uh, there's also Flight Control HQ for the Flight Control Twitter. Yeah, I think that's most of that. That's it. And then FlightControl.dev, obviously, you already mentioned that. People should check there for updates. And then, I mean, there's the Blitz JS, GitHub, and and the and the flight control resources out there. You can go to the releases and and look at like um, was in last fall. You Blitz.js just came out with this huge 2.0.0 update, which unfortunately we didn't get time to go into too much today. But go check that out if you want to see the updates on uh, Brandon's own framework. Yeah, and if you would like free Blitz and flight control stickers, go to blitzjs.com/stickers. And you can put in your address and we'll ship you free stickers anywhere in the world. Oh, that's, that's where I'm going. I love stickers on my laptop. So let's do that. <laughs> Brandon, thank you for your time again. You are welcome. Thank you. 